Welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast presented by Oz Rally Pro. This is episode number 115, where we continue with part two of our chat with ARA Competition Director Preston Osborne. In part one, we talked about the 2021 season and the rule changes for 2022. This time we get into the future of ARA and what its goals are in the coming years. So put on your yak tracks and walk carefully across the glare ice road to the virtual rally pub we call the Rallycast. Before we chat with our guest, here's some bits of what's been in the news since our last episode. Obviously, the big news since our last episode is the conclusion of the Snowdrift Rally, an impressive drive by Mark Piekowski and co-driver Aaron Crescenti. I still remember when Travis Hansen and his dad, Terry, were the first giant killers in their super production Subaru at Snowdrift back in 2011, I think it was. In fact, if memory serves me, they actually held on to the championship lead, the overall lead, for, gosh, I think it was three different events. At least it was heading into Oregon Trail Rally because I remember when they came here, I was a young volunteer at the time, and I have a signed hero card from uh, Travis Hansen. And uh, that was really cool to see, you know, the, the guys that are in the small team, you know, able to take on the big guys. Yeah, the factory Subaru team did have some issues in both cases back when Travis Hansen won, and of course now when Mark won. But, you know, you gotta hand it off to the guys to being there, to competing at that level. There's a lot of teams out there that still have exponentially more more advanced equipment, bigger budget, and things like that. And so I, I think it's definitely worth honoring <laughs> and rewarding them as much as we do, because it, it is not an easy thing, even if the conditions tend to be the equalizer and the issues that you know some of the top teams sometimes have. You know, I was thinking about how I'm not 100% certain about those dates because well, my resource that I used to use for this kind of stuff is no longer online. So I think that's the other big news that's out is that uh, EWRC Results is now offline. As a pseudo rally journalist, uh, EWRC has been a huge resource for me and I'm sure many of you out there as well. The costs, unfortunately, for maintaining their database and continually adding feeds of data for events running all over the world has become too costly to function with our current business model, which is mainly consisted of donations, banner ads, which we all have ad blockers, things like that. They're saying that they need a good size sponsor or partner to make the several several hundreds of hours that they put in every week to uh, keep this thing going. It just hasn't been meeting what they need. So for now, the site has been replaced with a statement by the owners that they're offline until a better revenue stream can be created. You know, I really feel for these guys because I know firsthand what it's like to have a passion project where sustainable revenue just isn't your first priority. You know, when you're passionate about something, you want to you know, be the one that's creating that content. You want, you want to be creative about it. And even if it seems like a technical thing, it's there's a an art to that creativity. I mean, look at what's being done to Sneak Attack Rally with Nathan Usher. I mean, it's very technical, his stuff, but it's very creative in how he goes about in uh, putting all that stuff together. And, you know, he and I are, are similar in that respect. You know, we, we want to do stuff for the sport to help it grow and provide content for a need that's out there that we saw and want to do what we can to make it happen but again it only goes so far when you get you know little streams of of funds here that can maybe cover hosting costs and that's about it if you're going to really go all out in something like that and make it really grow that's where it gets really challenging so you can only tell your uh partner so many times that you know you can spend the entire weekend working on a thing and you're not going to the beach you're not going to see family you're not doing whatever it is working on the house 
and it not start to affect you. It's a little more encouraging when you say, hey, I'm doing this thing over the weekend because it's making me some money, right? So yeah, I, again, I can see, feel for these guys, especially when they've gotten to that level where it's just so much data that they're having to deal with at EWRC results. So hopefully we will have that data coming back online again soon. Heck, I'd even pay a subscription fee for it because it is that useful for what I do. And I think for uh, many of others out there as well. That's kind of what's been going on out there in the news. We've got a whole bunch of stuff from Snowdrift coming up in a future episode where we reach out to some of the folks that were on the podiums, uh, various podiums between regional and national. We'll be back with our special guest right after these words from our supporters. Go, five right short over crest into second small crest, 40, full left plus nips. Hi, this is Alex and Rihanna Gelsomino from Oz Rally Pro, Advanced Rally Training. Are you new to rally or have you been rallying many years? No matter what your experience, we can progress you further. Our classes are team training, driver pace note training, or co-driver training that are tailored to each individual or team. Email osrallypro at gmail.com for further details. You know what I hate? Big, bulky, underperforming batteries. Lighten your load with Performance Battery from Melee Design Firm. They have time-tested solutions for your race car, rally car, or even your daily commuter. Make sure you check us out at MeleeDesignFirm.com, a proud sponsor of the Open Paddock Rallycast since 2020. Let's talk about the future and where things are going. I had a couple actually specific questions, you know, after talking to some competitors and, and things like that and seeing what's going on out there. I know that I've seen, as far as we've seen all these different cars coming over from FIA, and of course they got their new Rally 3 car which is a four-wheel drive version of the Fiesta R2 mm-hmm. that they're now using in the Junior Championship starting this next year. I started thinking about it, and I'm like, where in the hell would that fit <laughs> in ARA's rules? Yeah. And then to kind of go along with that, then I started thinking about some of the crazy ideas people come up with. Um, Sam Alberts came up where he's like, what if I put a Ferrari motor in my you know, Subaru? Well, and, and see, that's exactly what it is and, and why I like the creativity we have within our championship, um, you know, from let's call it a simple swap like Al Dante's LS in, in his Mazda. It's an, and, you know, that one is a well-documented and relatively popular one to something exotic like Sam's kicking around. Um, that's part of what makes our series great. Um, and I, and I don't want to lose that type of creativity, but as you talked about before, we're getting more international attention and, and homologated cars are what a lot of the international competitors are, are used to. And so it's up to us to kind of fit them within the classes so that, um, there is some level of competition and, uh, and they can, let's say, get their money's worth, if you will. Um, and the R3 being a new one, we don't really have a place for it right now. Uh, I think per the rules, it would, probably fall under open um don't quote me on that but uh that's probably where it'd be and frankly it would be demolished very (laughs) very outclassed uh in in the open class so um you know it's i i know of a 
I think two or three of them now coming within into the U.S. And so there's definitely interest for them. And and that may be one if if we see interest growing, then uh, we find from a performance standpoint where it's going to fit a bit better. You know, whether mm-hmm. that's limited, whether that's uh, an A, you know, four wheel drive, wh- whatever it is, uh, it's it's us fitting it within there. Can so. you imagine if we had the problem of so many of them, we had to create their own class? I mean, that would be great, right? <laughs> that that's basically what happened with the RC2 class, right? Is we yep. we saw the amount of interest and in, and people bringing those cars over, and so its own class came up. and And I actually had a conversation with the Argentinians running that R4, the Toyota that was there at Oregon, and they asked me, you know, how many cars would it take for us to be our own class? Because uh, while they can be competitive with the R5s, they are a lower class than the R5s. Yeah, they're about what a half a second to a second a kilometer slower on average. Yeah, I think it's somewhere somewhere around that that range. And so, um, in a capable driver, you know, they can yeah. be competitive. But uh, everyone wants to race against relatively equal machinery. You know, yeah. that's that's what people are looking for, and that's why classes exist, right? Uh, or else we just have one big class and everyone run what you brung. But um, and and they're saying how many cars do we need? And it would be a similar approach for the R3s. You know, if suddenly we've got this interest and in, and in we've got ten R3s over here, then we can talk about it being its own class. Rally but, three. They don't use R anymore. Sorry, Rally Three. Rally three. <laughs> <laughs> I I am having enough trouble keeping them all straight. So. Right. Uh, sorry, maybe keeping them all straight is incorrect. Uh keeping the the proper terminology correct. How's that? Oh, my, my favorite is how it was Rally 2. Yes. It, because they went from what was called Super Rally to calling yep. Super Rally, where, which is the Rally Restart rule, right? To taking Super Rally, then calling it Rally 2. Then they came up with a car called Rally 2. Yes. <laughs> it's like, really, guys? Really? <laughs> Yep. Well, and that's even like the RC2 class. So that is actually an FIA class. It is. But it makes up uh, Rally 2 cars. It makes up Rally 4 cars. It makes up the old S2000s. It makes up the NR4 cars. Right. And so, yeah, it's there's a lot going on there. But they're, they're definitely interesting. And, and for those that don't know, those are actually going to be the new junior WRC cars. Right. Um, so M, M Sport is fitting out. I think they have 12 drivers or something signed up for next year. So it's, it's interesting to me to put, uh, let's call it newer drivers in straight into a four wheel drive car because the mentality for so long has always been that you learn how to drive a two wheel drive car fast because you need to learn how to maintain momentum and carry that speed and take proper racing lines and, uh, four wheel drive cars just really make up for a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that is maybe the purest side of me talking, uh, at the end of the day, four wheel drive car is faster and, uh, and more fun unless you're in a wheel wheel drive car. So, you know, I agree with you. I mean, that, that has always been the, the, the thing. And I think the way FIA is, I think trying to kind of steer this is you'd start out at a national regional, whatever in, in an R2 <laughs> rally two. Rally five, four, four, rally four. There we go. See, we'll get those numbers eventually. <laughs> the rally four cars and, and they still have rally five, which was the R ones, but they they've kind of gone by the wayside. Which those are not that, uh, not that affordable anymore. They're sequential. Really? Yes. The, the, the M sport rally five previously yeah. R one yeah. uh, is now 60,000 pounds Jeez. or euros or what, that, whatever. That's crazy. 
currency they're using. It's basically over $60,000 for yeah. for an R1, which, you know, with ODD, we had a couple of R1s and you could get those out pretty well for $30,000. Right. Like for a brand new build. So, so I don't know. That, that makes, that, that's that makes a whole other thing. Like, <laughs> is the idea maybe just because they have upgrade kits, like, look, you can keep a lot of this stuff and now you can more cheaply now, because you already have the sequential, go into yeah. what would be Rally 4 or R2. I, maybe that's their mentality. I mean, yeah. from a chassis standpoint, they're very, very similar. Right. Uh, you know, same safety cage and and everything like that. But I don't know. It's it's a lot of complaints that rally and motorsport in whole is getting expensive. And and yes, the reality is prices are increasing, and we're combating that. Um, but when you try and tell people that an entry level rally car is sixty thousand dollars, it does it a disservice. Although you start building your own car, it starts creeping up over time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it, it can. But, you know, I, I am a firm believer that if you want to go out there and have fun and, you know, you're not chasing championships, doing anything like that, um, you can build a, a pretty capable car for $20,000. 20K is a good Yes, part. it's $20,000. Yeah. Um, but you, you can certainly spend less than that and, and go out there and do a couple of rallies a year and still have a lot of fun. And and obviously the used market is, is uh, a huge option for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Contrary to what people want to believe, rally cars go down in price when you race them, not up. Um, and so, I mean, you can get a pretty capable used car for in the teens. And uh, and that's why when you go to a lot of the forums and you see – well, I say forums. How about Facebook and groups and all that? Right. And you see people asking uh, you know, how to get started in rally. That's why so many people direct them to go buy a car. Because yeah, most own, of the yeah. time, you're going to spend less money buying somebody else's problem than creating your own. Yeah, that's true. And and just the, the constant modifications that you learn over time. You know, if somebody's yeah. already kind of figured that out. <laughs> well, and I think that's underappreciated is, um, you know, especially as you're getting started in the sport, you don't really know what you do and you don't want. You just know you want a rally car and you want to go fast in the woods. Um, but then, you know, you you get your first car, whether you build it or you buy it, and you go, I don't really like the seating position or, uh, you know, if they only they, they did this with the dash or uh, whatever it is, you can kind of take those learned things and apply them to your second car whether it's bought or built so i guess what i was alluding to is uh yeah even though it's two-wheel drive kind of to start or even though it seems like it's four-wheel drive to start over there with the fia um that's in the wrc i think their idea there though is still you start out with two-wheel drive um yeah. in a regional or uh national event before going to the top level yeah that's that's Good way to think about it. Obviously, things are a little different here. Our our country is pretty much the size of the entire European Rally Championship, so <laughs> it's not uh, like may, it's maybe on in par. geography, not in entries. It's very true. Oh man! <laughs> Although to be fair, uh, we've maxed out on entries more times, I think, in the last year than yeah. I can ever remember. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been a very good problem to have this year, um, and uh, and hopefully continues. You know, I think. Uh, rally will always ebb and flow. I mean, that's just the reality yep. for all sorts of extracurricular activities, right? Um, the difference is how do you make the peaks higher and the valleys higher? So, so let's talk about that future then. You know, obviously a lot of planning going on uh, beyond just 2022. I think uh, when it comes to ARA, how what do you guys? Uh, you touched on a little bit about uh, trying to work with organizers, maybe a little more on how they can get more involved with uh, getting community support. Um, kind of, I guess, maybe delve into a little bit of uh, what you're wanting to see in the future, uh, you know, over the next couple of years and maybe even farther. 
you know, for, for the sport to grow, like you said, we're kind of maxing out the big events. Um, as much as I would love to have 150 car national events, uh, it's just not a reality a from, from road usage, but also just from scheduling, you know, it's, it's scheduling for 150 cars is near impossible. And so let alone fitting all the space for the, uh, service crash. Yes. Yes. That, that is a whole nother problem. Right. And so I, I think where I really see the sport growing is, is adding more smaller events, let's call it, you know, more of those regional events. And I, I think almost like what Missouri does, um, with, they have their own kind of series within a series, if you will. And, and they've usually got three events down there and, and, uh, and have their own community that's been grown all locally and, and having the opportunity to race three times more or less in your backyard, um, is a rare thing to have in the U S and we're starting to see, you know, you guys added Mike Nagel, of course, last year. And, um, I think it's the rich Olmsted this year. I don't know what the event's going to be called and you can edit it as much as you need. No, we, we, I don't think we've decided on the official name for it. Um, but Yes, we are going to have a regional as well as a national. Um, right. I think that, that the idea is that we're going to continue doing that. Right. And uh, I think that's good for, first of all, if we're going to have this Western region, we need to have enough Western regionals <laughs> along with yes. the national to uh, yes. to to make that uh, a doable thing. But it also, it, we found it such a huge training opportunity for new volunteers um, and just kind of the laid back nature of the yeah. non-national event. Yeah. N- not to say it's more fun. It's just different and like a little more relaxed atmosphere. But uh, yes, so we, we have an added regional as well. They they both have their pluses and minuses, right? And and of course, for me as a competitor getting started out, I spent my first, I think, three years without ever doing a national event. All we did was go to the regional events. And, and I think it's underappreciated uh, as far as how much a training opportunity it is for new organizers, new volunteers, new stage captains. Uh, but even from a competitor standpoint, you know, like you said, with, with the atmosphere being much more laid back, um, as a competitor, there's a lot less stress, (laughs) uh, not only from a competition standpoint, but going, wait, how do I calculate check-ins? And, you know, because the organizers, competitors, everyone is more laid back. I, I think the atmosphere is a, a bit different and a little more helpful at times. And, and that's certainly not a slight against national competitors. No. Uh, there's just a lot more on the line and, and more things going on, right? They're, they're dealing with more people and more things happening. So, um, you know, I, I see that as a huge growth, growth opportunity for the sport. Um, ARA, you know, we're also looking at adding rally sprints, um, oh. to, to the docket. So as kind of bridging that gap between, um, rally cross, which of course is, is a great way to even learn what it's like to drive a car in dirt. Um, but from there, it's a huge step jumping into stage rally. Yes, and so kind of, uh, you know, there's a, a couple of different organizations that do it now. And so, uh, we're trying to come in that way you can just buy one license and, and it covers your rally sprints and it covers your stage rallies, whether it's regional or national. And, and again, kind of foster that growth so that people can come up through the sport and just understand what it is. Um, you know, rally has always been kind of that, uh, grassroots sport here in the U S and, and I want to continue that side of it. But, uh, the reality is if we can get more interest in the sport across all the levels, then more money can come into the sport, whether that's entry fees, whether that's sponsorship opportunities, because there's more eyes on it. Um, and, and ultimately that helps everyone. I I like the idea, especially of, uh, getting into the, um, 
the rally sprint concept. Um, I think there's a lot of like uh, places where it's like, okay, I, I, we, we don't have enough for doing a, a full rally or maybe as kind of a test for a region that's like, look, we can get this one road. Um, the rest of the community is not, not sure about what a, a stage rally is. And if you could do this little rally sprint, you know, and, and get the community's attention of, Hey, this can be a cool thing. You know, if enough competitors come out to it, um, you know, there, there's been quite a bit of success with those things, I think on the East coast. And yeah. yeah, I think, I think it can draw just maybe some, some eyes to it that, Hey, wow, that this is a thing and it could be bigger and, and whatnot. But again, not to say that it needs to grow because the, the sprint itself is also a grid training tool for both competitors. And again, to, to organizers and volunteers. Yep. yep. Well, it's the, the tough thing about rally and partially it's just the size of the U S in general is it, as you know, a very complicated process to organize a rally, get road permissions and, and put all that together. And so, uh, by fostering these smaller events, whether it's rally sprints, whether it's the the basic regionals, um, they are simpler for the organizations to put together, simpler to get permissions for. You know, a lot of basic regionals are on, on one road, um, and that's perfectly fine at that level. I have no issues with that. And And so if you had more opportunities to race your rally car within half a day toe of you, um, that's going to uh, make it, make more sense to invest into a rally car. Yeah, it's more value. Yeah, yeah. For for me here in Colorado, I have one race within 500 miles of me, uh, which is Colorado, which wasn't right. here, you know, not that long ago. Right. And so... Other than that, there's hill climbs and... Yeah, and, and, and that's the difference is we have a good hill climb community. So we do have a great uh, community of, of rally enthusiasts and people who own rally cars and teams here in Colorado because there's opportunity to race here. Um, you know, you look at the Northwest, there's uh, quite a bit of opportunity to race there. And so you guys have a great region and a, and a great community uh of of racers there and if you double the opportunities to race uh even again smaller races that's what europe does better than us from an event standpoint right is you know i'm not saying we need to be on on pace with ireland that i think any weekend has <laughs> two to three uh rallies on that little island but um but you know if, if we added the opportunities to race then uh people are willing to invest in in rally cars and go racing you know you look at why are circle tracks still as popular as they are and, and i know there's some waning interest there but it's because you have an event every weekend there's right. a circle track 30 miles from my house and they have something every single weekend there. Uh, no interest to me, so I don't spend my time right. there. But but plenty of other people do. There's an old dirt oval in a yeah. town neighboring me uh, in, in Brooks, Oregon, and they do week every weekend. There's a little something going on, little you know, local uh, jalopy class and sprint cars and you know that yeah. kind of stuff. And and as all of the rallyists who listen to your podcast can attest to. Uh, the car and the entry fees are not the expensive part of running rallies. It's the tow. It's the number of nights in hotels. You know, that's the stuff that adds up quickly. And so if we can get more people to build their community and, and the number of events uh, that are close to them where you can sleep in your own bed or at a buddy's house or, uh, you know, that, that type of mentality, then it's just going to make the sport grow and make it more accessible. Yeah, there, there's my soapbox for the night, Mike. Where do you see the most growth 
region-wise in the U.S. Uh, coming up? Shockingly, the East. Yeah. So, yeah, if you look at the region split right now, the central region and and partially because we have that great community in Michigan that has, uh, you know, three events there between LSPR and granted spread out, but LSPR snowdrift and, and summer snow. Um, there's also some, the, the cup rallies that are not too far. So that's a great pocket. Missouri, we talked about their group of events. Uh, the West is starting to grow as well. You know, Olympus has their regional event, much like you guys have yours as well. Uh, Colorado, you know, Idaho, that, that event, um, still going on out there. Uh, so the, the East is really where I see the opportunity and we've got quite a few rally sprints, uh, going on there now and some other rallies that are starting to come up, but that's part of why we're excited to see Bristol come on the calendar, um, is, you know, adding what we see as a potentially top tier event, um, you know, in, in that part of the country where we haven't seen in, in decades. Um, and, uh, and again, growing, growing that region of the sport. Uh, I never thought I'd say it, but the East is our smallest region right now. So <laughs> that's, that's an interesting thing to think about. You're right. Huh? Yeah. Which is shocking because, you know, they have such a great community out there, but, um, racing you know, community they, specifically, yes, right? I mean, yes, I mean yes. it is NASCAR country, right? I mean, it just yes. racing in general, um, NHRA, I mean, you, you name it, racing is yeah. their thing. Um, it is. they probably have more race tracks, within that region than any other region in the U.S. Right. But the difference is, again, if, if you've got a track in your backyard, why would I not build a car that I can go race 30 times a year mm-hmm. versus build a car that, you know, I know that I have to drive X amount of days to race twice. Yep. And so that's where these kind of smaller events start to start to fit in. And, and, uh, I, I mean, the end of the day, it's, it's, we can't be reliant on the same organizing group to, do all of them right as far as Oregon can't you guys cannot organize six events it's just no. not feasible with the amount of time and effort that goes into putting one event and so if you look at what Missouri does I think part of the reason for their success is they have the organizing group for 100 acre they have the organizing group for show me they have yeah. the organizing group for yeah MOR and yes there's a lot of similar people but it's different people in the top positions and and not only does that increase the number of events and the number of opportunities but we've talked a few times about the training right if if i am clerk of the course at a small basic regional uh i can learn the job what it looks like again with a lower stress environment i don't have as many moving parts as you're going to have with the national but i'm i'm getting that foundation to work up then to show me the super regional event then to 100 acre the national so that that's where i see that opportunity uh, again for everyone but it takes work it takes people you know uh, people who put on events they're volunteers that's that is what it is we do it for the passion of the events uh, and the passion for the sport but as more people get involved then you can kind of take some of that workload off each other right here here yes um and you know i'm hoping that you know with the regional stuff uh, that we're doing is you know i can start training somebody to do some of the five hats that i wear yeah. Um, and then start, you know, offloading some to th- something to them. And, uh, you know, they take the reins of that um, in maybe in the regional side versus the national or whatever. And, and, yep. and that'll make it uh, a little easier on me, but then also have them find some enjoyment in the organizing process and whatnot. And because it's two of us doing some of these roles, they're not as overly stressed either where they burn yeah. out and don't want to do it again. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and we talked about it all the way at the beginning of this, of this podcast, whether it's one or two podcasts at this point, uh, <laughs> that uh, fresh ideas coming in. You know, it's yeah. it's as you get new people coming in, they may have different ideas, and and I think uh, some of the people in the past maybe shied away from the idea just because it was different. Uh, whereas I am fully of the mindset it should be embraced. Not every idea is good, but every idea should at least be looked at. So yeah, so talking more about the future stuff, uh, you're you're saying that uh, you know one of the directions you want to go is is really kind of uh, better control of how things are on the web. Yeah, so. I feel like the website and and just a lot of the kind of online presence uh, for the sport has always been secondary, uh, where you have to have a website because you know people have websites and and so I'm really trying to kind of push us to where that should be the portal to our sport, right? Not only as a fan but as a competitor, an organizer, um, you know, everyone should be able to come to the website and do that. And uh, USAC, again, our parent company, actually just hired a software engineer who is dedicated to USAC. He's an employee of USAC and it's going to be developing things like websites. You know, uh, an app is back on the table for us uh, to look at developing an app for us. And and so I, I'm really hoping and pushing to um, update all that for us and, and make it easier to find scores, make it easier to find results, championship points. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not a true fan of the sport, I feel like it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my wife always laughs because she goes, if I didn't know you and I have no idea how to find some of this stuff. And, and uh, if my own wife can't find it, then right. that's probably a problem. And sneak attack as, as you know, love Nathan and what yep. he's designed. And it's yeah. great for me as, as somebody that knows the sport and knows the yep. people and, and, and know what knows where to click. But again, if I'm just a regular spectator, say go to Sneak Attack and you go there, uh, okay, the area combiner thing, what's that? Right. And right. we know right. it because remember, we remember back to, you know, the old technology that was the Rally America combiner thing that right. was built. And, you know, it, again, it's a brilliant thing, but if we can have some integration that makes it easier for the, the regular follower to find stuff. Well, and, and we've talked a while about growing the sport and kind of how we do that. And, and motorsport on a professional level is almost purely driven by marketing dollars. Um, you know, that's, that's where the, let's call it big money comes for, for motorsport, you know, Subaru, that's marketing operation that happens to a race team. Um, and, and so if we want to grow the top side of it, I hate to say trickle down economics, but that's kind of how it works, right? As we can invest on the top of the sport, um, we're able to put more into the lower end too. And, and that's where I mentioned earlier, the multifaceted approach of, uh, how do I foster the regional guys? How do I foster the national guys um, and the groups within the groups, but uh, marketing dollars is what's going to drive the national side of the sport. And I need to make our sport more success, uh, more accessible to the average person, the average motorsport fan. Um, right. And, and that's, what's going to drive that marketing side of it. So the website's been getting progressively better. But uh, obviously, there's a lot more that can be done. We've definitely made some improvements. Um, part of the problem is the uh, it's I don't even remember the company, but it's basically a, a cookie cutter Wix website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. That's right. It is Wix, and uh, and I think they're okay for the basic stuff, but with 
kind of my vision and, and the team's vision of what we want it to be, it's going to take some some custom work and some more hands-on. So um, we're excited that USAC hired them. They certainly did not hire them for us, but I am happy to make use of him. So, <laughs> so that's uh, that's what we'll be doing. Let it. me tug on your ear. Come over here. Take a look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, even things like apps, you know, it's uh, everyone's got to have an app by nowadays almost like i said everyone had to have a website you know in the early 2000s mm-hmm. whatever uh but uh, having an app i think is necessary too again to to make it accessible to the average person um that's i think what is missed a little bit is we do uh let's call it an acceptable job of getting information to the people who know about ara it's how to reach the people outside of that platform i think what's also interesting is you know how um you know, the global lockdowns and then, you know, and COVID kind of forced us into more web presence. And, you know, I, I so much appreciate all the online forums and things like that for the, the competition side of it, you know, of the notice boards and things like that. Oh, my gosh, that's so much better than the way we were doing it before. Yeah, I know. I, I guess we we didn't even talk about Sportity, uh, the, the notice board app that, that we brought in, but... Um, that's going along those lines. It's actually a dedicated notice board app. And so all of the ARA events will be using it. Okay. And so that's as of this year, you're going to start adding that. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. So, so, uh, if you want to look in the Snowdrift subs, it gives you, cause there's a password to, to get in. I mean, it's open to public. It's not private. It's just so you can categorize stuff. Um, and all of your official documents will go on there and, and it can actually send push notifications. So, uh, we're not going to be spamming everyone, but I can send a push notification to say bulletin four has been posted so that, you know, a new bulletin has been posted when it's been posted. That is awesome because, uh, yeah, that's the things like I didn't get the notice because they didn't know to check and yeah, that, that's actually a really good feature to have. Yeah. So, so it's another app that, some, that they need to have on their phone, but at the same time, the value of it is such that why would you not? Right, right. Yeah. And, and you know, it'll start orders will go there, results will go there. Um, it'll be for, for each event, all documentation will be within that app. Oh, neat. Um, and, and then, you know, there's also a web based, or, uh, yeah, web based as far as a browser based app and, right. and you can embed it in websites and, and so it does everything you need it to, um, it can also, you know, inquire, inquiry forms can still be done on, will still be done online. There's direct links for that. I mean, all it, it's all contained within, um, that, that one app. So it's, it's, it's again, pushing things forward and simplifying and, would that be available for both uh, regionals and nationals? Correct. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, I, I think those kinds of tools, um, you know, I, I've integrated what we have, you know, into into our site after learning from folks at 100 Acre Wood. I talked to them. How did you do it? And it's just kind of Google Form stuff. Yep. But, uh, you know, having something that's kind of more standardized that everybody's yep. using, I think, would be a big value. Um, yeah. Especially as, if you think about it, if you're a competitor traveling from event to event, wait, how do you do it? This looks all different. Where do I yeah. go? Uh, somebody's using different nomenclature. That's the biggest question I get. Where do I go for this? You know, and and before it's, oh, it's on their website. It's on our website. It's on this Google Drive. It's on this. It's on that. Now it's all within here. If it's an ARA event, the online notice board is here, period. So it's, uh, I, I'm excited for it again. It's a, uh, probably from a competitor side of things, relatively small quality life improvement, but, um, I, I see it as a, a pretty big change that, uh, is, is relatively 
inexpensive from our standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and so something that we're able to give to events to, to make their lives easier too. So that Mike Shaw doesn't have to take his time to figure out how to put it on, on the Oregon website. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I definitely, that sounds very good to me. Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. So we got web stuff, uh, the sport of the app, um, obviously we talked about the recce app before and things like that. Um, obviously that, that that's this year, but what about farther in the future? What, what else do you want to, uh, see happen, uh, with the sport and, uh, how we're seen out there? I, I really still want to push to make the U S more relevant on the international rally side of things. Um, and, uh, there is no uh, golden key or or you know easy way to do that. I, I think that's something that we talk about more of a five year process to get to, and it's it's going to be a lot of small steps and a lot of small decisions to get there. Because as I've said plenty of times, even today on this podcast, I I I like the feel of American Rally in the sense of the uniqueness and the quirky builds and and the number of different cars. You know, you you go look at a European Rally um, and uh, especially a bigger regional one, and it's a lot of Fiestas, it's a lot of Skodas, and it's a lot of Volkswagens. Uh, but competition is really really good, mm. and so how do we take that with the feel that we have? uh, for us rally and, and kind of get the best of both worlds. And, and hopefully as the sport continues to grow and we, we move in that direction, we can start to integrate, you know, like the, the rally three cars that we talked about earlier, uh, start to integrate that the series where, you know, either they fit within a class or they have their own class and, and start to get more interest that way. And, and I, I think the other side of it is I would love to see, more Americans racing internationally. Obviously we have Sean Johnson and, and Alex, um, and, and they've had some success internationally, but they're the only ones. And, and why is that? You know, Sean has done, uh, zero rallying within the U S because that was not a path to get into rallying on an international level. And so how do we change that? Um, and I pose it as a question because I don't have an answer yet. Uh, you know, I have an idea of, of kind of how to do that. Um, and again, it's making some of the FIA classes more relevant while still keeping the, the feel of, of us rally. Again, just having events that also that maybe have similar character to what we have out there too in yeah, Europe, yeah. uh, you know, or just stage adding, miles or just the stage miles. Yeah. Just yeah. getting that seat time and, and getting those miles in. So. Yeah, you you look at uh, and granted, someone like Oliver Solberg is is a whole different animal in himself. But uh, when he could do a race every week in his backyard, more or less, uh, there's Crazy. a reason why people like him can progress so quickly. And and uh, the top drivers in the world, or even the top drivers in the U.S., can tell you part of the reason they're where they're at is because the number of miles that they could race. Uh, you, you take a very, very talented driver and they still need experience to get to any sort of top level. Are we going to work with our uh, Canadian friends again and, uh, have the North American rally cup? Um, I know COVID last year kind of, last two years have just kind of destroyed that and, you know, no fault of anybody, uh, cross border stuff has been challenging up until was it November of this last year until you could actually, yeah. Yeah. And I think there's still some level of restrictions and who knows with, with the variant we're in now, crackdowns are going to come down again, but, uh, no, I, I certainly hope so. You know, John Hall actually, um, uh, was replaced as president or stepped down and, and there's a new president, uh, for, for the series, um, Gene. And so looking forward to, to work with him, you know, at this point, we've only had an introduction, nothing past there, but, uh, I'm a 
big fan of what they do in Canada. Um, I, I know I'll be doing some work with them actually from rally safe standpoint, um, because they have now added rally safe to their national championship. So, and we'll have some units kind of going back and forth. So they, they had it first, right. But they had it for just a couple of Western events. Yeah. So, so they've had it for a few events for a number of years now, uh, but never on a, a full national scale, like, like we've implemented. So, um, so they were certainly the forerunners for it, and actually, how I got exposed to Rally Safe was through one of their events, and uh, and that's why I was a proponent of it for so long because I actually got to use it and uh, and saw the value of it. So um, so no, it's it's uh, I don't know exactly what's going to look like. Obviously, at the very least, um, bringing back the the Narc Cup as it's so well named, but uh, yeah, we'll 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 see what else we can do. Um, they're they're a good series to work with, though. So. I guess uh, also talking about working with other series, there was actually talk a long time ago. Um, again, everything seems so long now because like two years of weirdness. But <laughs> um, I remember back when I was doing more stuff with ARA, there was the NACM, which is the North America, Central America championship thing. I went down to Mexico. I think there's a Jamaican round even and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. It was It's an FIA specific yep. series. Um, is there any talking, talking to those folks again, uh, about having any of our rounds that maybe are are part of that to maybe get some more international people made me think because the Argentinians coming in, you know, does that make that a desirable thing to, to bring in some folks from, uh, more of that, that region? You know, the, the simple answer is my door is always open. <laughs> uh, the more the more complicated answer is um, – so the NACM president was actually uh, Mexico-based and I believe there's some turnover there um, going on along with, of course, the FIA president um, was a uh, new president voted in yep. this past December. So uh, it's waiting a bit for kind of the dust to settle there. Um, so for those that don't know, USAC is actually part of ACUS. Who is the um, uh, basically the FIA representative uh, body for for the U.S. So, as part of USAC, who is part of ACUS, ARA is actually uh, has a relationship, let's call it, with the FIA. Right. Um, and so communication channels at a minimum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the nice thing is uh, we've got our finger on the pulse, maybe a little bit more than we have had in the years past, um, and so able to have those types of conversations um, as the opportunity arises. So uh, as we're talking about becoming more um, relevant on the international level, you know, those are the conversations to be had, but uh, they, they're a work in progress and they'll take time and uh, kind of understanding how each other works. So it's, it's a process, but uh, it is moving forward, not backwards. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right, moving into some fun and game stuff uh, to kind of wrap things up as I've taken up your entire evening and time away from your uh, wonderful little <laughs> rugrat uh, son yeah. who's probably trying to crawl around uh, your legs or something by now. Uh, well, I'm sure he's in bed at this point. Oh, okay. That, the nice thing about kids, they have early bedtime, so you'd be more productive at night. There you go. <laughs> Uh, something I've been asking uh, the folks who've been coming on our show uh, th- this new season is uh, tell me if you've got any good uh, rental car stories that you can at least publicly tell at this point. Oh, goodness. Well, it uh, depends on statute of limitations in, in some uh, some states. But Cam and I had a, a couple of things. And this went back to the days that we were racing with Troy Miller, uh, mm-hmm. where you had to see if every car could J-turn. And you had to see how every car would jump. 
And so we would always try and J-turn, and we'd always find a way to jump a car. And uh, the jumps, not on stages. I, I'm not condoning anything like that. I'm talking like you find a big speed bump in a parking lot <laughs> and, and hit it at about 30 miles an hour and see what happens. And, uh, yeah, so that uh, – there, there were times where – Oh gosh, who was it with? Actually, I think it might have been with Travis Pastrana, uh, where we would pinch cars in. So he'd pull ahead of them, we'd pull behind them, and then he'd back up and we'd pull up and make it so the cars couldn't leave, and then uh, get out and take the keys with us. So, oh, fun! Yeah, I love yeah, it. So, but I rally drivers are probably one of the sole reasons I will never buy a rental car in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, even if there's a point zero zero one percent chance that it would be a car that I ever drove, not worth the risk. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite things, just rental cars in general, though, is the or similar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes. He, yes. Here's what you think you're going to get. Oh, no, it isn't. Yep. So so you want to know how I know I'm getting old is uh, I spent a lot of time in rental cars, of course, going between events, whether it's ARA or whatever, whatever other event I'm off to. Um, and for the ARA events, Jay and I, so ARA Jay, as we call him, he kind of handles a lot of our rally safe stuff. Uh, we've realized minivans are fantastic for rally safe uh, because of the amount of cargo space and the doors on either side and uh, that slide opens like, God, am I really at the point of my life that I want a minivan for a rental car? I just, it sounds worse saying it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> it does, but you know what? I, I will be hundred percent honest. Um, uh, we we've been doing some things where we take uh, my in-laws um go, just trips to the coast or whatever mm-hmm. and you know my super outback seats four comfortably yep not five or six oh. and <laughs> so we rented a minivan once and it was the best most comfortable <laughs> damn drive uh. i'm like and it had plenty of power and it was like yeah what is this world what the hell yeah, yeah. And and it was easier to get in and out of than than a yeah. big you know SUV thing, and it's like it, you know it, you could see better. Yeah, no, dude, I'm I'm 100 with you. It, it, you don't want to say it out loud, but the reality is the we, we might have just works. got disowned from the rally community. But uh, I will at least say I'm still a very very far ways from getting a minivan as as a daily driver. And and fortunately, my wife uh, is even further away from that. She said it'll be a cold day in hell before I ever own a minivan. So I said, all right. <laughs> for for her, she says I want three rows and a turbo. I'm like done. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Don't let her go. Exactly. In in terms of uh, let's see, it's usually heated seats, uh, turbo, and now with the kiddo, of course, it's it's third row mainly just because turns out children have a lot of shit that you gotta lug around. So yes. just the cargo space is is necessary. Sure is, sure is. I I did uh, was for the first time. It was in a rental that I got a heated steering wheel. Oh yes, yes. I'm just like. Where's this thing been all my life? <laughs> yeah, and especially you know live like uh, in a place like Colorado, and they they call it the cold weather package usually, and you get heated seats, heated steering wheel, and heated windshield wipers, which yep. you never thought you would need until you have iced up windshield wipers and you can't see anything. So my Subaru Outback actually has uh, well, it's it's in the, the uh, there's a band at the bottom of the windscreen yep. Yep. that yeah. is a heater element uh, yes. that that does that. Yeah, because the defroster doesn't quite get there. Oh, and heated mirrors, side uh, side yep. mirrors. Yep, uh, that that's awesome though. Uh, yeah, the, the heated steering wheel though—that was like my first time, and I'm just like, 
Wow. I I don't know if like somebody else left it on and I just didn't know because it's like yeah. it's like the steering wheel started getting kind of warm. Like, what the hell right. is this? Like, right. oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Z- zero stuff. degrees out hopping in your car. It's uh, it's very nice. <laughs> it sure is. Sure is. All right. And then last to kind of close things out on the fun of games. Uh, this is stolen from a- another podcast that I listen to. And uh, he likes to always ask his guests, give me in whatever order you want your fa- a favorite book favorite movie or uh one of your favorite movies uh favorite music artist or genre when you're out doing a uh i guess inspection of roads now since you don't do recce so much anymore (laughs) or uh you're on a long flight or something sure uh so book i'll I'll give you a couple of things here so uh a big fan of stephen king um so i i like a lot of his books and and uh, i like his writing style i think is good character development yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so a fan of him, um, nerdy side of me wants to say Tolkien. Uh, so certainly enjoy a lot of that universe. Um, and then probably individual book. It's a book actually I haven't read in, in a number of years, yeah, but it is sitting up on my bookshelf. It's called the power of one. Um, and, uh, it, it's just a, a very, it's a book that does a very good job of making you feel like you can conquer anything. So, uh, it is, it is a, a fiction book, but, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a book that I've always kind of gone back over the years and reread, um, music. I have a very eclectic, uh, love of of music but a lot of different genres pretty much anything but country i'll listen to <laughs> and it and it really depends on my mood you know it's uh if i'm working and i need something for background music it'll usually be some sort of house or edm type music um i i uh i was a ddr kid growing up so so used to listen to a lot of techno which still a little mm-hmm. bit carry over from that uh, but then again, I, I, uh, also listen to a lot of nineties rap. So that, that tends to come up. Maybe that's the California boy in me, but, uh, <laughs> actually I do listen to classical every now and again too. So uh, all over the place there for movies. And, and there's probably also exceptions to everything, right? Again, based on that oh, yeah. mood. Cause like to me, I, I'm similar for mo- mostly anything but country. Um, yes. and a lot of the more modern hip hop stuff I don't tend to like as much, but again, there's yeah. exceptions to everything. It's like, there's yep. some country out there, Allison Krauss and union station. I don't know why, but they sound amazing to me. Uh, yeah. but other country, yeah, too twangy, not my thing. I don't yeah, know. Why. Yeah, I Just, think, I think that's it for me too. And, and, uh, I, single artist, I would probably say atmosphere. I okay. always come back to atmosphere. I don't know what it is about that. Um, I am a closet Taylor Swift fan. Uh, Cam, so Cam, I think we've talked about on this podcast before, but Cam loved Katy Perry. And so I, we, we would always joke with each other and, and, uh, he'd put on Taylor Swift and I'd put on Katy Perry. <laughs> and, wear the car. and, uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, and, and let's see movie, I think single movie, uh, I go with Shaun of the Dead. Um, I'm a huge Edgar Wright fan. So pretty much anything that he puts together, I absolutely love um from the cinema nerd side of me the the way he integrates music um within all the movies that he directs i whatever it is i'm i'm really drawn and and pulled into that so so yeah there you go that's a awesome response yeah Yeah, uh, i can side with all those things definitely Uh, music in movies specifically um (laughs) the, the most powerful movies integrate music the best yeah 
Yeah, and and where they're part of the story, not the back of the story, uh, right? Agreed, a hundred percent. You know, they, it it helps sets that mood, right? You have to have the good acting and the good writing and stuff to go along with it. Yeah, but that extra layer that takes it from good to amazing yep. is having to me is having that right music for yes. that moment to yep. then it just envelops you. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Whether it's a, a rising score like you're going to have in Lord of the Ring trilogy, or I'm a huge star Wars fan too. Mm-hmm. So all the star Wars movies and, you know, John Williams, of course, is a mastermind of our generation. Uh, Hans Zimmer shortly behind it, but uh, Agreed. yeah, but yeah, like a uh, baby driver, um, you yeah. know, the, the plot of that movie was, I, I would say, simple. but yeah, but the, the way the music is, is, woven into that movie is oh chef's kiss it's amazing amazing i i that that was that was such a good movie for that reason i don't think i would have liked it as much if it wasn't for how they integrated the music no 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 and uh and again a huge Edgar wright fan so uh scott pilgrim i mean that that's such a fun movie and and uh, again, it's it's a common theme in a lot of his movies are the way music is forefront in the movie uh, versus more of kind of the soundtrack mentality of it, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there you go. Preston Osborne, thank you so much for taking the time, man. We've uh, taken, what, two hours <laughs> of your evening. So <laughs> this might, might end up being two episodes for sure. But uh, yeah, yeah. definitely well. always fun to chat with you and get your insights. You're always so open, so honest. And I'm so happy that you're in the position you are because you really do want to progress this thing forward and you do try and think of all aspects and everybody and want to make it fair, make it fun and make it uh, accessible. Well, I, I thank you for having me on, Mike. It's always so much fun to talk with you. And and uh, like we said in the beginning, these always tend to go a bit long, but it's, it's I think, because we always have so much fun talking to each other. So And and uh, at the end of the day, we're both passionate about Rally, and, and that's why we can talk about it for two hours and 14 minutes as, as we're at right now. <laughs> but who's counting? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Skype, apparently. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you again to our supporters, Melee Design Firm, and to Oz Rally Pro for the support of the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. And remember, everybody, please don't speed on Recky. Now we'll be watching. <laughs> yes, Big Brother's always there. 